So this morning we told stories about the family, right? And, and, and so I want to say, make this statement to begin with. Everyone knows that with family, with family, everything is different, right? Like when you're with your family, everything's different, isn't it? Like when you get together with your mom and dad, you get together with your brothers and sisters, especially when you see siblings, like when, they, like when they're coming from all over the world and they kind of can, can, come together in one place, it's like everything happens, right? You have all this store, all these stories to tell and all this shared history and all the fights that you talk about and you laugh about and you want to fight all over again, right? You may be 35, 40, 50 years old, but you get together, it's like you're 15 all over again. You know what I'm talking about? With everything fam- and everything, it's always different with family. And when you get together with family, right, there should be, at least in the healthy families, they get together should be a time of full of freedom and, and full of laughter, full of honesty and full of intimacy and full of practical jokes and good stories, all this stuff, right? Because when we're with family, we recognize that everything is different. In fact, if you were here on Easter, you, Randall was sitting on the front row. We had the, you know, I was, I, we'd already gone, we hadn't done baptisms yet. I was getting ready to, I was actually in the middle of speaking. And you remember at the 11 o'clock service, you probably went, well, I'm not sure if you what service you were at, but 11 o'clock service, so don't, in case you don't know, my brother-in-law, Victor, he makes his way with his wife, right, in, in, in tow, because she's like, no, no, make their way down the front aisle. He kind of waves at me and sits on the front row. Only a brother-in-law does that, right? <laughs> And so I waved to him and said, hey, what's up, Victor? And what if you late? And, you know, he makes some joke. That's my second service of the day. He was completely lying, right? Completely lying. He apologized later. Hey, don't strike me down, Jesus, whatever it was, right? This whole dynamic. And he said later at Easter, it was really funny. We're sitting over, we're actually watching the Masters, you know, which is a holy event on Easter, right? And it's not, not quite the resurrection, right? But watching the Masters. And, you know, we're sitting there watching the Masters, having a great time together. And, and, and he goes, you know what? And we started making make a joke. I said, man, way to walk, way to ruin my message, you know, ha, ha, ha. Right. And he goes, man, I'm not, not going to lie. He says, I feel like the mayor of vintage. <laughs> right. And he his whole point was, says, I just feel this connection. Right. He just feels because there's this emotional investment. Right. This this affiliation he has, because obviously you know, I'm his brother in law and Randall's his sister. He's like he just feels different. It's the same case when we go down to his mellow mushroom. He owns the mellow mushroom on Chastain Road. You ever been to mellow mushroom on Chastain Road? Right. It's a holy place too, man. The best pizza in the, around, right? We go down there and, and we walk in and we feel different. Like it's, it's a different feel than every other restaurant we walk into, right? Because we walk in, we feel a level of ownership. We become important automatically, right? I'm like, I'm Victor's brother-in-law, right? I do that all the time. I just say that to scare him, right? I'm Victor's brother-in-law. I'm fucking on the phone with him right now, right? Better serve me well. No, but seriously, we'll sit there and if someone does a poor job of serving us, we text them and say, so-and-so dressed in this. Here's a picture of her on my iPhone, right? True story. We'll take pictures of bad waitresses, right? She was did a poor job there. She did a great job. We send them pictures of that too, right? Or if I'm walking out of the bathroom with wet hands because the paper towel dispenser is empty, I text him with my wet phone and say, hey, Guess who's walking out with wet hands from your bathroom? Mella mushroom. Dot dot dot. Get paper towels, right? I would just text them and do it all the time because it's different for family, right? We, in fact, he was telling a story yesterday. It's just really funny. He said the very first, like in the first week, they opened up the restaurant. He has two, one over in Town Lake. He said that his father. This is really funny. He said his father-in-law walked in the door. Picked up a, a, a beer mug, right? Walked over to the beer dispenser, poured himself a beer, and then started walking out. And the, guy goes, the manager goes, oh, what are you, what are you doing? He goes, 
I'm Victor's father-in-law. I can do this, right? It's, a, it's just so funny, right? It's just, it's just different with family. We get that, right? You get with, you can say things. I can say things to my dad. I couldn't say to anybody else. Or I get with Randall. We can say things we couldn't say to anybody else, right? There's no filter. It's just, it's just, ah, right? It's just different with family. And so when Jesus, when Jesus was resurrected, and the first thing that he said to, 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 to says, listen, I want you to go tell, tell my brothers, tell my brothers. And all of a sudden they went, brothers, I thought we were servants. I thought we were, I thought we were, I didn't, what? Brothers. And the idea of Jesus making clear, going to my father, your father, my God, your God. And in the moment, Jesus, like Scott said last week, Jesus changed the rules of the game of life. He said, I no longer call you slaves and servants, but I call you brothers and sisters. We are now part of the same family. You are heirs of God with me. You are co-heirs with Christ, according to Romans chapter 8. We have this level of coming in and that we are now part of the same family. And Jesus is making it clear. He's like, listen, I want you to recognize and I want you to know that with the resurrection, there has been a change of position in your life. You are no longer slaves and servants. Like I've been waiting thousands of years. The first thing out of my mouth that I want you to know after the resurrection, I've been waiting for thousands of years to say this since the fall of Adam and Eve. I've been waiting for this one thing to call you brothers and sisters. Family. Because Jesus knows that with family, everything is different. How we live our lives and how we relate to Jesus. Everything is different. And so post-resurrection, he spends that period of time before his ascension, making it being very intentional about restoring relationship with Thomas and restoring relationship with Peter and restoring life with his disciples and making sure they all understand, listen, I call you brothers and I call you sisters. We are now part of the same family and it changes everything. The rules of the game of life, they've been changed forever. All of us recognize that with family it's different. Why? Why is this so important? Because our new, listen, our new position as brothers or sisters of Jesus, a part of the family of God, our pos- this, this new position, listen, it sets us up. For kingdom success. Now I said kingdom success. I didn't say personal success. I said kingdom. To be successful in the kingdom. Which means we're simply doing what Jesus would have us do. As living sacrifices every day. Saying I'm living my life again. Being 100% obedient to you. That's kingdom success. Right? Living for Jesus every moment of every day. Empowered. Listen. Empowered by the spirit. The same spirit that was in Jesus and raised Jesus from the dead. We are set up. For kingdom success. So to give you a picture this morning of what I think that looks like, I could show you a movie scene, but I'd rather tell you the scene. 
I just think there's something powerful about telling stories rather than watching it. And it's a story I've told here before, but it's something important because I literally had Jesus, he spoke to me during this movie I watched, right? And it just, I think about it, if not every day, it's at least every other day as a reminder of how I am viewed by Jesus. And it's Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian. The movie's fine. We get to the very end. I know I've told this story before. Just bear with me, right? Because I just love this. I tell myself this story every day. You had the scene, good versus evil, right? Every every movie ends up there, right? It's a big old battle scene, right? And then this battle scene, and the good guys are losing it first, and then and then the bad guys are losing. The bad guys have a great idea. Hey, let's regroup. And so they blow their horn and they say, head back, right? Retreat. And the idea is if we they built there's a river. And they built this bridge on the river. And they think in their minds, if we just regroup, if we cross over the river on our brand new cool bridge, right? Get on the other side, then we can regroup and we can defeat them. And so, the, the, they pull back and the Narnians begin to chase them. They get to the river's edge. And all of a sudden you see them kind of pull to and you look across and who do you see? You see the most insignificant and smallest person, a little girl, Lucy, coming up and walking up to the other end of the bridge. And inside of us, we're thinking, inside of us, we're thinking, this is not scary at all. Because there is nothing that produces fear in a warrior when a little girl walks up, right? It's insignificant, it's small, it's not scary at all. And then just to taunt him, remember the movie says it's so I love this scene. She reaches into her cloak and she pulls out a glorified pocket knife, this little bitty dagger. And she just goes, he's like, whoa, right? Just saying, I dare you, <laughs> right? And he's looking at her going, are you serious? This little girl just taunted me with a glorified pocket Swiss army knife. Are you serious? And he looks, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Aslan comes into the scene. And everything changes. The Lord, the ruler, the Jesus figure, this Lord over all of Narnia, steps up and stands right beside her. And then there's this beautiful scene. If you watch the movie, they do this. He's standing here on her, on her left and she on his right. And they both in unison turn and look at each other. And it's that moment of recognition. They know that each of them know that they are together in unity and in solidarity, side by side, one team. And then... In sheer stupidity, the bad guy starts charging. And then Aslan does what Aslan does. He lets out a roar. And everyone knows that when Aslan roars, everything changes. Every time. Aslan roars and releases judgment on the movements of the enemy the entire time with little Lucy with her dagger standing there right beside him as if she is part of the melee.
and sitting there knowing that she is part of it. You see, when she walked up, there was nothing that produced fear in the heart of this mighty warrior. She's just a finite little girl who is not to be feared. But then all of a sudden, Aslan walks up and looks and basically says, hey, we're on the same team and I'm with her and I dare you. You better not. It would be sheer stupidity for you to come against us because I am Aslan and I am Lord and I will roar. You see, with family, everything changes. When Jesus comes onto the scene as an Aslan figure and says, we are now brothers and sisters. We are now part of the same family. We stand side by side. We stand side by side forever. And Lucy said, I dare you. Because I know whose I am. And I know who he is. And I do not fear. You see, for when we stand in the moment without Aslan, without Jesus, then fear is produced. But when he stands beside us forever, there is no reason to fear. You see, this, this is what it looks like for those this morning who are truly Christ followers, right? They're followers of Jesus who choose every day, who choose every day to live in obedience and follow Jesus everywhere. Because when we are in that place, then we are the family of God. We have position with Him as the brothers and sisters of His, his with, the, with the enemy looking at us. When He looks at us, there's nothing inside of us that produces fear, except when He sees the name of the family of God plastered on our forehead and the blood of Jesus covering our entire body. Then all of a sudden, he, we produce fear. Rick Bonf and my good friend in Brazil said, listen, Steve, when I get up every morning, the demons and my feet touch the ground, the demons in hell tremble because they know a man of God just got out of bed. Hallelujah. The family of God, the people of God, every morning when we get out of bed and your feet touch the ground as a Christ follower, the demons in hell should tremble because they know Jamie, a man of God, just got out of bed. Do you live in that reality every day? This is where Lucy is. She's like, booyah, bring it on, brother, because I am part of the family of God, Aslan. We're looking at one another. Solidarity and unity. But the question this morning is this. What if we feel like Peter? What if we feel like Peter? What if we feel like Peter post-resurrection? You remember, remember remember pre-resurrection, pre-death? Remember Peter's in that moment, I'll never, I'll never, I'll never turn away from you. And boom, three times, right? And just less than a few hours after he said it, he denies Christ three times and lives in this, this, this overwhelming sense of just, oh, you know what I'm getting at, right? He feels bad, he feels terrible, he feels convicted, and he's living in this place, right? And here is Peter, living this place of being overwhelmed, post-resurrection, Jesus has come, Jesus has spoken to him, Jesus has come even with forgiveness. There's been restoration, there's been a unifying, restorative work that Jesus has done, and Peter's still in his own mind, living in a place of guilt, living in a place of doubt. Do I really love him? 
Because how could I if I betrayed him? How could I if I just can sin just back to back to back without conviction? How could that be the case? So pick up your Bible, John 21. Put your, listen, we read, listen, hear me very clearly on this. Please never read the Bible story as some diff, this distant historical document. But read it and place yourself in the story as if it is you. The story is being told about as if you are Peter. Feel his emotions. How many of you have ever sinned against Jesus? How many of you, yes, Jackie's like, yeah, right here, at least you're bold enough to say it, right? How many of you have been in that place? How many of you have felt that guilt? How many of you have felt that distance? How many of you have felt that disconnect? How many of you felt just like Peter? Put yourself in the story, please, for God's sake. Make the story about God telling your story, right? John 21, 15 through 17, right? Read along with me. On the screen of your Bible, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, listen, he'd already changed his name to Peter. He only used Simon when Simon had been bad. You know I'm getting at, parents. Literally. I was reading, I was actually reading his commentary. That's what the guy said, right? He said, Jesus only called him Simon when he did something bad. <laughs> After he changed his name to Peter. So Simon, uh-oh, all right? Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And Peter, and Peter, Simon says, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, just immediately after that, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he goes on to give him an expression of what his life would be like until his death. Here in this scripture, here in the scripture, we we see three questions to Peter about his love for Jesus. The same number of denials that Peter expressed when Jesus was taken captive. And we find in this, it's, it's clear in his questioning that Jesus is focusing on Peter's denial. He's coming back to this moment that Peter is wrestling with. He's coming back for a purpose. And here, I believe, is the issue at hand. And here's the point. I'll put it on the screen. Because this applies to our life. And I want you to hear this. This may sound harsh. But let it just be honest, truthful response to our issues. Repeated sin or violations of duty in our relationship with Jesus are just grounds for questioning our love to Christ. That hurts a little bit. I know it. Just receive it this morning. Don't get all upset with me, all right? Repeated sin or violations of duty in our relationship with Jesus are just grounds for questioning our love to Christ. Scripture is clear. There is no better way to test our love for Christ than our obedience to Him. Obedience, listen, is the fruit, obedience is the fruit of a life committed to Jesus. Jesus says, this is how I know that you love me. 
in John, book of, in, in the Gospel of John. This is how I know that you, will love, that you love me. You obey my commands. And so if there's disobedience, we all get this, right? And all, this is what Peter's done. Peter's denied Christ three times. And what happens? He begins to ask himself, do I really love Jesus? That happens in your life, doesn't it? You begin to have this habitual sin, repeated sin in your life, right? You can't seem to conquer it in your, in your life going, am I really a Christian? Do I really love Jesus? This doesn't mean it's just honest. We all do this. When we have repeated sin or violations of this duty in our relationship with Jesus, it is just grounds. God has the right. We have the right to ask even ourselves, do I truly love Jesus? Jesus can come and say, do you truly love me? This is where we are in the moment. He's looking at Peter. Do you really love me? Peter, listen, Peter had stated to Jesus, no matter what happens, I will never turn away from you. And this is a short period of time later, right? He denied him three times. His sin is denial of his own disobedience. Listen, it had planted in Peter, just like it plants in you, it had planted in Peter doubt. This seed of doubt. Oh my gosh, do I really love him? So in a sense, when Jesus comes along and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus isn't asking this question because he's wondering. He's simply naming the very question that's going on in Peter's own mind. It's discernment. He's using the gift of discernment, the spiritual gift of discernment, and seeing what's going on in Peter's heart and in his mind and saying, Peter, Simon, do you, do you love me? Does that question sound familiar? It's the question that's racing around in your head, right? He's asking this question. All of us understand this. All of us understand the, the, the fear that Peter is experiencing. But you have to recognize that Jesus is asking for one reason, to restore him. Jesus is coming this difficult moment to restore him. Verse 15 says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Do you truly love me more than these? you got to remember, so, so in the story... Peter and us, the disciples, right? They got they got tired of hanging out, doing what they're doing. So what do they do? Let's go fishing. Scott and I, every day at the office, say the exact same thing. Man, we should go fishing today, right? Jay, where's Jay? Jay Davis. He's the same way, man. Right there, Jay. I mean, he's like texting me. Hey, we should go. This is a great day to go fishing, right? That's what we do. Like, oh, I'm just ready to go fishing. So they're hanging out. Real practical things. How many of you? Have, I want to go golfing today, right? I want to go shopping. I just want to go beat somebody up. You have people do that. I don't know what that is, right? People want to do something. They want to get, oh, get the aggression out. They want to do something, right? They want to do something. So they're going out. They're just going fishing. It's their escape, and they're out fishing, and they go out and listen. They don't catch anything. It never happens to us, right, guys? But I mean, but that happens to them. They didn't catch anything. So all of a sudden, this dude on the, the on the beach goes, "Hey, you catching anything?" There's nothing worse when you're fishing than somebody asking you caught anything, and you got to say no, right? There's nothing more embarrassing. You just pray, God, at least give me one. So somebody asks, I can say, "Yeah, yeah, we caught some one, right?" We say, and they're like, "No, we haven't caught anything." And this this figure on the beach goes, "Why don't you try the right side?" And they're like, "Okay." And they pull it in, throw it on the right side, and boom! A hundred, I think it's 152 fish, or 152 fish, right? In this little bitty, this net. And all of a sudden they're like, this is, this is like an amazing catch, right? This is one of those things, if you're a fisherman, you get it. I mean, it's like, this is like the day of all days. It's like, oh, hallelujah, right? It's a great moment. They're experiencing, they're loving it. It's like, oh, this is so great. And then John goes, it is the Lord. 
And Peter goes, oh, and he takes off the outer jacket and he jumps in and he swims the whole 100 yards to shore as an expression of love, of affection towards Jesus. Oh, start swimming, man. I mean, he could, probably couldn't even swim, but he's like praying for grace. Give me grace to swim, right? I don't know what he's doing, right? He just went, yeah, I just got to get to Jesus. And so they get there, right? And he gets on the shore and the boat comes in and Jesus says, Hey, bring the fish over to me. It says, and Peter jumped down from what he was doing, went over himself, pushed Evan out of the way, got the net, and pulled it up. This is a very heavy net. And Peter did it. Why? It's an expression of obedience, which is a sign of his affection and a sign of his obedience. Clearly stated, it's this. Peter did those two things. He just wanted Jesus to know how much he loved him. He wanted to obey. He wanted to express in his action Love. And so they're sitting down, they're probably cutting up and doing their thing, looking at this guy, Jesus, who, man, he's raising the dead. Still weird to see a dead guy come back to life, right? Doing their thing, eating fish. And then Jesus has the audacity to look at him and says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And, G- and Peter immediately has a rewind moment to where we see in Mark chapter 14 where Jesus says, listen, guys, I want you to know every single one of you are going to fall away. And Peter looks up and says, even if all fall away, I will not. Jesus, I'll die for you. Basically says, Jesus, I'll make it real clear. Everyone's right here, but let's be honest. You and I both know I love you a whole lot more than everybody else. I love you more than the rest of these. Jesus' question was simply a restatement of the very thing that Peter had said in Mark 14. Jesus replayed with pain and agony for Peter the very words out of Peter's mouth. And he automatically goes back to the very core of his doubt, the very core of his hurt. He's sitting there in the moment saying, I know positionally I'm part of the family, but I'm living in doubt and I don't know if I believe it. Have you ever been there? And so he says, yes, Lord, I love you. Right kind of that quick response. And then Jesus comes back in a couple more times and, and, and making Peter very, very uncomfortable, but making it vital to restore Peter. Ask him two more times, two more times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And in asking this way, Jesus is making, making it clear that he wants Peter to not only listen and respond, not only to listen and respond, but to hear him and respond fully. Listen, if you've ever had a child who has turned 16, and the first time you hand the keys over, them, over to them to drive, what do you do? You sit down with them, hopefully, and go through the checklist of everything they should and should not do, Right? You sit down and you get, and you, and they're like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. Finally get like, like number 45 on the list, right? I've been sitting there for, for two hours going your checklist. And, the, and you say, look at them, you say, now whatever you do, do not text and drive. And they go, yeah, yeah, I hear, I hear you. And they go, no, 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 no. Do not text and drive. They go, I know I hear you, mom. And they go, and you stop and say, no, no, no. Listen to me and hear what I'm saying with my mouth. Do not Text and drive. Do you understand me? And they're like, yes, ma'am, I hear you. That's what Jesus is doing. Real practically. 
He is stating it three times yes because of three denials, but because he wants Peter not only to listen and to respond, but to hear him fully and respond. And then Peter comes back, comes back, right, and says, Lord, you gnosko, Greek there, changes the word no, you know, an intimate knowledge. Gnosis means an intimate knowledge. As if, as if you see into my heart and into my soul, and only you know the truth. You only know the truth that I love you. See, Jesus already knew it. He just wanted to make sure that Peter knew that Jesus knew that Peter loved him. He wanted to, it was vital, it was vital to Jesus that he restored Peter, not just to the position of family, but to the knowledge of being part of it. Imagine if you got little Lucy standing there on the bridge and having no idea that Aslan is standing right beside her in solidarity and unity. And all of a sudden, by herself, she sees this warrior coming at her with a massive sword on a big, scary black horse. Coming across that bridge as fast as that horse can run. What is she going to do? And she has no idea that Aslan is standing right beside her. She is going to wilt in fear and run off. Because she can't do anything. It is imperative that she know who is standing right beside her in solidarity and unity on on what team she is on. Peter, it is imperative to Jesus that Peter know that they're on the same team. Why? Because three times Jesus looks at him and says, do you love me? He says, yes, then then feed my sheep, feed my sheep, and care for and pastor my sheep. Why? Because Jesus knew that Jesus was ascending and leaving. And the only thing he knew, I've got to get Peter right because I have a purpose and a calling on his life. And he doesn't know, he doesn't live in the reality of being part of the family If there's not restoration, there's not getting to the core of his disobedience, the core of his doubt, and speaking life into that place, then when the enemy begins to come, he will once again wilt in fear and run away. That is not an option for him. And it is not, listen, it is not an option for you. It is not an option. To run off in fear and run off in doubt. You need, listen, you need to let Jesus go to the core of the very issue. Because how many of you, you try to express love to Jesus by being obedient to him just like Peter did. You come to church on Sundays. You read your Bible. You start waking up early and praying every morning, right? Because you want to just express in obedience how much you love Jesus. And deep down, what are you still wrestling with? Your fear and your doubt that you're not actually a part of the family. That you're not actually accepted by him. That you don't actually love him. And doubt has crept in and is crushing you. Because the enemy is coming at you. You're like, I don't know who I belong to. And Jesus says, do you love me? Why? Because he wants to look at you 
and say, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. I have a purpose for your life to get outside of your box and give your life away to those who are dying and don't know me. Feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. Love my sheep who don't know me. Leave the 99 and go to the one who's lost. If we don't know who we belong to, with Aslan standing right beside us at the end of that bridge, then when the enemy comes, we will wilt in fear. And Jesus is simply saying, no, 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 no. That's not an option. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you? Father, we thank you for this morning.